Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12 as we get back into these gifts of the Spirit. We completed this morning from Wednesday night and this morning's message. We completed the first three of the nine manifestation gifts of the Spirit known as the uh, actual uh, revelation gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Tonight we begin on the power gifts. Gifts of power or Lester Silmore used to call them gifts of divine energy. Gifts of divine energy, because they are divine, they're supernatural in their function. And what's unique about this is, if you think about, for example, working in miracles, you know, for a miracle to manifest in relationship to the gifts of the Spirit, it's not a miracle to God, it's just a miracle to us. It's kind of God's everyday modus operandi, man. It's not a miracle to Him, it's what He does all the time, but it is for us, amen? So 1 Corinthians 12, 1 again reminds us, For us as believers, brethren, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be what? Tell your neighbor, don't be ignorant about these things. I do not want you to be ignorant. Now he goes on talking about some things relating to the other aspects of the ministry gifts of what Jesus gave and what the Father gave. And then in verse 7 he begins to get into these gifts that he's talking about. He says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Say, that includes me. The manifestation, manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So manifestation of the Spirit is referring to manifestation gifts. These gifts that manifest is given to each one to profit all, to help all. Verse 8, one is given a word of wisdom to another, word of knowledge. Verse 9, to another, here's one of the power gifts that we'll start with tonight, the gift of faith. Then the same, through the same Spirit, gifts of healings, another power gift. By the same Spirit, another power gift to the uh, working of miracles. So these are the three we'll start covering tonight. To another, discerning, uh, excuse me, another prophecy. <clears throat> then to another, discerning of spirits, which is a revelation gift. And then tongues and interpretation of tongues. But verse 11, it is the one and same Spirit that works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Where does God primarily want these gifts functioning in your life? Outside the church. He wants you using them out there. Just like Jesus used them. Just like the disciples used them. Thank God we can see them in our church as well. We want to. But it's not for us to come to church and just have a Holy Ghost party. And then just tell the world, world, man, you should come. You're missing out. Understandably, that's not wrong to say that we would want that to happen. But these gifts, as you see them functioning in the book of Acts, are primarily functioning out in the context of what we know of the marketplace and the world where we go. That's where we want them functioning. Amen? So tonight, we're under category number two, gifts of power or divine energy. Gifts of power or divine energy. Turn to Romans 12. Just back up to the book of Romans. Go to chapter 12. Romans 12. And I don't care how many times you've studied these, even me going back over them, it's good to get refreshed on them, be reminded of some key nuggets. 
I, I saw some aha moments for some people this morning. How do I know if it's discerning of spirits or not? Because it's going to refer to a revelation of their inner man or their spirit man. So that's not a word of knowledge. That's actually referring to an aspect of a discerning of spirits as we talked about this morning as to what motivates a human spirit. Is it good or is it bad? So here in Romans chapter 12, I want to show you, we're going to start with our first one of the power gifts, say gift of faith. So this is the first one we're going to look at tonight. I want to explain something about this. So the gift of faith defined, as I've already given it to you, is God, God does something supernaturally for you. God does something supernaturally for you. Now, I remember when I first started studying these through Brother Hagin's teachings of what he taught on early on, he used to say gift of faith was necessary for working in miracles. But actually, you'll find out as you study further, that's not true because there are times miracles happen in which God chooses to do something of which really nobody's faith was involved, even in the sense like God or God using somebody. Think about the uh, pool of Bethesda or the, 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 uh, w- the moving of the waters at the pool, right? Nobody was involved other than God. That was a working of a miracle. See, there was no faith involved. That was just a working of a miracle. So faith, as I started studying this further in my walk with God, and later years I saw Brother Hagin uh, acknowledging Howard Carter as well, uh, clearly is something that God does for us that he just supernaturally manifests in many ways to help us through deliverance, through different things that we would experience by the hand of God that otherwise we would not have, that we didn't have to build faith for. God just chose to do it by, by allowing that faith to manifest through our life. Amen? So this is not the regular faith that you've been given or the measure of faith you've been given. So I don't want you to confuse that. That's why I'm here in Romans chapter 12 for a minute. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone, say everyone, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Listen, as God, not the Holy Spirit, as God has dealt to what? Each a measure of faith. So how do we know this is not the gift of faith? Two reasons, because God has his own gifts that he gave to the body of Christ. God gave every believer a measure of faith. The gifts of the Spirit come from the Holy Spirit. And the gift of faith comes from the Holy Spirit, not God the Father. On top of that, here he says God gave to what? Everyone. Say everyone. Everyone a measure of faith. Will everybody see the gift of faith function in their life? No. Why? I'll guarantee it, like uh, Hagen used to say, he said, I'm not telling you, I may not have seen these at one time or another in my life, uh, work at some aspect of my life, but you're not going to see these gifts manifesting all the time in your life, all of them, because if that was true, he wouldn't need any of the rest of the body. And the reason that he does not actually allow one individual just to function these all the time is because he wants all the body involved. It requires all the body. What you'll tend to see in the gifts of the Spirit, you will tend to see certain people that will be used more in one aspect of the gifts than another person. As an example, you know, in in Hagen's life, uh, the Lord Jesus appeared to him, touched both of his hands with with his finger, and he said, I give you a special anointing of healing. Well, when that anointing would come, what is that a manifestation of? Gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. Well, not everybody got that. Brother Hagen did, though. And so realize again, you're going to find that God will tend in these gifts of the Spirit to tend to use us in certain ones more often than others. And that's going to primarily be where we're going to function. He just knows that you're going to be able to be more easily yielding to the Holy Spirit in that area to be using those gifts as God wants to use them through you. Amen? Amen. 
So realize it doesn't mean he can't manifest any, any gift anytime he wants. He can. And we're not asking for any specific gifts. We're just open to whatever God wants to use us in. But the, 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 the truth is about the creativity of these gifts is you tend to see certain people function in ones more than the other. I tend to function really a lot in, in tongues, interpretation of tongues, simple prophecy, even words of knowledge. And that's where I've seen God use me the most for whatever reason. That doesn't make me a prophet. That just makes me a believer who, who allows the Holy Spirit to work through me. But here in Romans 12, 3, this is a measure of faith. Measure of faith. By the way, it's the same faith that God has. <clears throat> same faith Jesus had. You didn't get a different kind. I said you didn't get a different kind. And he gave you what you needed to develop what you have. So realize when we know Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing by the... That's not the gift of faith. That's this faith. That's this measure of faith you've been given. So the way you continue to develop faith with what you've been given is by hearing the Word of God. Hearing the Word of God over and over in certain areas does not cause the gift of faith to function more. Learning how to yield to the Holy Spirit does. So again, this is not what we have of what we would, I hate to term it this way, but in essence, general faith. No, this is a supernatural manifestation of God's faith that goes beyond what is a general faith or what we develop to hear in the Word. Amen? So we're real clear on that. Go to Daniel. You see this a lot in the Old Testament. Book of Daniel. I want you to go here for just a moment. Daniel chapter 6. We're going to look at a couple examples in Daniel. And we're going to start with Daniel himself. Daniel chapter 6. If you don't know Daniel's life, Daniel during his lifetime, the children of Israel are, in, are literally uh, slaves in bondage in Babylon. During his whole, pretty much all of his lifetime. He was a teenage boy when they were taken captive. And the rest of his life he lived out in Babylonian captivity. Because he was so anointed of God, even King Darius recognized that gift on his life and therefore made him an actual ruler, a type of governor in an area of the province where he was at. And the way this kind of sets up is they had satraps and they had governors. Satraps would be kind of like a mayor of individual cities. Governors would be like an example of governor over a state that would obviously oversee a lot of those aspects of leaders under him. Well, literally we see this. There was three governors of the area of which Daniel was one. So Daniel's kind of in this higher position of authority. And as a matter of fact, King Darius was considering putting him over all of the entire province of where they were at in Babylon because he had such favor. But in Daniel chapter 6, we find something here powerful about what we learn in relationship to his life that clearly took place because... Of all, all the rest of the, the other two governors and satraps, jealous of Daniel, knowing that he was the only one in relationship to all these leaders that served the God of Israel, they could not find any fault in him to take advantage of his life to try to get him out of the way. So they tried to use his faithfulness with his God to do so. In Daniel 6, you with me? <clears throat> Verse 1, it pleased Darius excuse me, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. That'd be kind of like mayors in a sense, what we would think of a mayor, to be over the whole kingdom. Over these, there were three governors of whom Daniel was one. Say, Daniel was one. That the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then Daniel distinguished himself above these other two governors and all these satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. The king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So because of that, the governors and satraps did what? They were excited and they were thankful. 
and said, what a wonderful thing, Daniel, that you're getting exalted to this position. <clears throat> no, no, they were jealous. They didn't like it. So they're going to try to do something about it. So these governors and satraps, verse 4, sought to find some charge against Daniel, something they could bring against him to be able to get him ousted and out of this position that he was in so that Darius would not further obviously establish him as one key, as one key ruler over all of them. So they tried to find something against him concerning the kingdom, the area where he was serving, but guess what? They could find no charge or fault. Amen. They couldn't find him doing anything wrong because he was what? Tell me. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Verse 5, so these men said, guess what? We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Not like he is obviously going to do something wrong in relationship to his God, but he's so faithful to his God, we'll use that against him. And in doing so, because we know he won't bow down to any other gods, we can actually take advantage of his commitment to his God. Verse 5, so notice this, these men then said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 6, so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said uh, thus to him, King Darius, live forever. And all the governors in the of the kingdom and administrators, the satraps, counselors, bunch of people, advisors, they've all consulted together to establish a royal statute. And to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So the den of lions was already an aspect of what they set up to, you know, to do a harm to people who did not honor what obviously should have happened in relationship to the king or the kingdom. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish this decree, sign the writing, so that, a, so that uh, uh, it cannot be changed according to the law, say law, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So there was a law established by the Medes and the Persians in that area that once the king signed a decree, it could not be altered for any reason whatsoever. So these guys are pretty devious, pretty smart in what they're doing to try to get this in a position of a written law in 30 days because guess what they know? They know Daniel enough to know that they've been seeing him bow down to his God three times a day and they know they can get him caught in his own situation with his God. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the written decree. <clears throat> Not even thinking about what he's doing. Verse 10, so Daniel knew the writing was signed. Say he knew. He knew. So he quit bowing down to his God three times a day. Because he was afraid for his life. Nope, not at all. He went home. In his upper room, just like he normally did, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, not trying to hide anything from anybody. And he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Verse 11, then these men assembled, found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. They went before the king. Verse 12, they spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree? Every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. The king answered said, this is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which doesn't alter. So to save a little time, most of you know this story. So then they go on and they say, well, Daniel has not honored your decree. He's bowing down three times a day to his God. And you wrote a decree that nobody shall do this. Now, let me help you. The king, when he heard this, his heart failed him. In essence, he now knows I made a mistake. He loves Daniel dearly. And now he realizes I'm stuck. Because, of course, they pressed the issue to say, King, are you not going to force the decree 
according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, that does not change. So this king knows now, if I back down from this and I obviously don't follow through, all the other decrees I've signed now could be altered. Now they could take advantage of my kingdom. So I cannot bow down. I've got to do what I said I would do. So he does. So he literally then cries out to Daniel, concerned about whether or not his God would save him. And obviously, uh, relationship to what he now knows would be a concern for anybody. He's thinking, now Daniel getting thrown in this lion's den, he's a done, it's, a done, it's over with, man. We're, we're going to lose Daniel. Verse 18, the king went to his palace after him being thrown in the lion's den. He went to the palace that night fasting. He didn't eat. No musicians were brought to him. And his sleep went from him. He stayed up all night long. The king arose very early the next morning. He went haste to the den of lions. Man, he's hurrying down there to hoping maybe somehow, something, some way God saved him. 20, when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice. And he said to Daniel, the king spoke saying, very clearly, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, shut the lion's mouths, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king, listen to this, was exceedingly glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury. Say no injury. The reason no injury here, because when they threw him down into the den, it was a long fall. Obviously, they would break bones and very easy, therefore, for the lions to overtake them and to be able to devour them. No injury whatsoever was found on him. Underline this, please, because he did what? That's not normal. That's not normal faith. You're going to be thrown into a lion's den for doing nothing wrong. You listening? How many of you think they'd be saying, oh, dear God, <laughs> please spare me from these lions. I've done nothing wrong. Daniel said no such thing. He let him throw him in the lion's den. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened at the time in relationship to what he heard from the king, knowing that he's going to be thrown in the lion's den. Guess what came on him? Supernatural faith. Amen. To just trust in his God. And because of that faith, guess what God did? God did something supernaturally for him. Amen. What did he do? Sent an angel. Amen. Sent an angel to do what? Keep those lions from bothering him. And so he just laid down amongst the lions and went to sleep. Probably used one of them for a pillow. <laughs> Woke up the next day. Don't worry, man. I'm still here. No problem. Praise God. And the moment they brought him up out of there, guess what? The king threw all those other people, the, the, the ones that brought this against him, threw them in the lion's den, and they were devoured. And the king made a decree. If anybody does not in any way honor the very God of Daniel, you'll, you'll answer to me, basically. So realize when it says here at the last part, if you were going to get thrown in a lion's den for something you hadn't done, how many think you would obviously have no concern, no worry, no fear whatsoever? And he would have some nervous thoughts, be a little afraid maybe, wonder what's going to happen, wonder how this is going to work, wonder who's going to chomp on me first, wonder what they're going to eat first, a leg, an arm, what are they going to go after? Daniel didn't care. Why? He said, because it said what? He believed in his God. Say he believed in his God. That's supernatural faith of which God then did what? A supernatural miracle. The gift of faith. Say the gift of faith. That is not normal. I said that is not normal. Most people would be pleading, hey, I did nothing wrong. You know, let me plead my case. Put me before the courts or something. But he said nothing. 
Fine, throw me in the lion's den. No problem. Praise God. Back up to Daniel 3. Back up to Daniel 3. So actually before Darius, we actually had a different king, Nebuchadnezzar. And before Darius, Nebuchadnezzar himself again recognized Daniel, but he also recognized Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all four of them. Uh, uh, the children of Israel who were came, came and obviously brought into Babylonian captivity, and they were all given positions in the context of this king's service under Nebuchadnezzar, under King Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, it tells us here, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and they accused the Jews, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They spoke and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony, with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. So Nebuchadnezzar made this gold image. He wanted everybody to bow down to it. Every time that this music was played, anybody that was near was to bow down and worship this golden image. And they're telling him, well, guess what? These, these uh, Israel, these, uh, excuse me, these Jewish boys, these children from Israel are not doing so. They're not bound down to this image. Verse 11, you went, they went on to say, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, whom you have set over the fairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So similar situation, these guys are jealous of these three. They want to get rid of them. They know they serve the God of Israel. They will not bow down, in this case, to this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar made up. They didn't need to go tell Nebuchadnezzar about this, except that they wanted to see these men die. They wanted to get them out of the way. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, he's not happy about it. In a rage and in a fury, he gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, now it's interesting to note, Daniel was never even brought up in this situation. They didn't mess with Daniel at this point. Nebuchadnezzar 14 spoke saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Amen. 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Guess what you're already hearing? Guess what you're already hearing? That ain't normal. You listening? Come on, man. They got this fire furnace they throw people in. All you got to do, all you got to do is bow down to this golden image. I mean, imagine how many Christians would do this today to spare their life, to not have to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And what was their response? Not normal. Say not normal. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I guarantee you, you got a lot of Christians today can't even... You know, make church regular and talk to God regular and walk with God regular. I mean, you get in this kind of a position, you think they're going to answer this way? Probably not. But this is supernatural faith. Watch this, 17. 
If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able. In other words, you're going to throw us in the furnace, fine. Our God is able. Say he's able. They didn't know if he would. Faith doesn't give you all, this supernatural faith doesn't give you all the answers. You're just not afraid of what you're, what you're facing because you're in faith. You're in a supernatural faith. So there's no fear. They're not afraid. I said they're not afraid. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king, one way or another. One way or another, he'll deliver us from your hand. In other words, we're not going to bow down to you. So we're not going to become your slaves in the sense of bowing down to you as a God. 18, but if not, if he doesn't spare him from the furnace, let it be known to you, O king. We do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. 19, Nebuchadnezzar was now what? Full of fury. He's not happy. Not a happy camper. Now, this is crazy here. Think about this. The expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded. He's so mad. He spoke and commanded that the heat of the fur- that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Let me help you. Those flames are going to kill you right when you go in them anyway. Seven times hotter ain't going to make that big a difference. Are you listening? This is just an absolute outraged king who is going berserk. Like, like he's going to scare them now and, you know, and to bow them down because they're heating the furnace up seven times hotter. So it's bad. You know, you face, first of all, knowing you go in the fire furnace. Now we're going to heat it seven times hotter. They don't care. I said they don't care. Amen. Let me help you. That's supernatural faith. Yes. He commanded certain mighty men. I mean, seriously, think about this. How many Christians are nervous to walk up to an individual they don't know and witness to them? And these boys ain't nervous to face a fire furnace. They don't, they're not concerned at all. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army, verse 20, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say they're bound, and they cast them into the burning fire furnace. Then these men who bound their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments, and they were cast in the midst of the burning fire furnace. 22, therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The guys that threw him in there died from the heat. It was so hot. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, say astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the furnace? Into the fire? They answered and said, O king, this is true. Look, he answered, I see four men loose. They're not even bound. I don't see three. I don't see three. I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They're not even hurt. The form of the fourth is like what? This ain't normal. <clears throat> this is God doing something supernaturally for you by allowing this gift of faith to rise upon you that you would not back down in your faith in God. You would not back down in fear or being afraid or intimidated. Fine, king, throw us in the fire. And that faith caused God to move on their behalf supernaturally and let Jesus stand in the fire with them. They didn't just stand there. I said, they didn't just stand there. I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. What are they doing walking? What are they doing walking? Most scholars tell you this phrase here means they were dancing. They were dancing in the furnace. 
Nebuchadnezzar 26, he went near the mouth of the burning fire furnace and he spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire. The satraps, administrators, governors, all these people, man, who were against him, they saw these men on who the, on, notice this, on whose bodies the fire had no power. That's supernatural faith. <clears throat> it's not normal. Say, it's not normal. Even the guys threw him in the furnace died just from the heat, not even the flame. Notice this, the hair of their head was not what? Excuse me? Ladies, come on. You're using a curling iron. How easy is it to singe your hair? They're walking around the fire. Their hair's not even singed. Come on, somebody. Say, this ain't normal. You know why? Because this is a manifestation of supernatural faith that God did something on their behalf. Tell me that isn't awesome. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments even affected. Guess what? The smell of fire was not on them. Go start a fire. Not, not like now. <laughs> Go start a fire outside. Just sit there. Guess what? You go inside, you smell like the fire. Just being around it. 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right choice, king. Right decision. Who sent his angel. That's actually a phrase for the Son of God. That's the reason it's capitalized. Most believe it was Jesus. And he delivered his servants who trusted in him. He delivered his servants who trusted in him. He delivered his servants who... That's not normal trust. That's not normal faith. This is not a normal occurrence. And they did what? They have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not yield to their bodies. They yielded their bodies that they should not what? Serve nor worship any god except their own god. Say supernatural faith. 29. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Even the king recognized it. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Say supernatural faith. Let's go to the New Testament, book of Acts. Book of Acts. Well, pastor, how do we get this supernatural faith to manifest? You don't. You don't. You learn to walk with God, yield to the Holy Spirit, and if God so needs to manifest that faith in you, he will. But you got to know how to yield to the Holy Spirit, not give in to your flesh, not give in to the ways of man. This is not a natural faith that was built up in them. This was God manifesting his faith upon them. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So here we have Paul and Silas who have seen a miracle and they get arrested. And as they get arrested, they don't get lightly treated, folks. They get harmfully treated. Verse 16, it happened as we went to prayer, a certain slave girl, I apologize, they didn't 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 actually do a miracle, they cast a demon out of this gal and uh, cost this this, uh, guy that had this little demon-possessed girl, cost him his livelihood, good for her, getting delivered in Jesus' name. Notice it was a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination. She met us as they're going to prayer and and she brought her masters much profit by what? Demons know about your past. They don't know about your future. Fortune telling is a deceptive practice. 
Demons will do it if they have people that can yield to them. And all they'll do is tell people about their past to get them thinking that they know everything about them. Talk about the fortune teller. And then they'll start talking about your future to kind of guide you and lead you in the direction that the Satan wants you to go. They don't know, their, they don't know your future. Satan has no knowledge of the future. He can only know what's gone on around you or happened in your past by seeing it happen. So that's how fortune tellers work. 17, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. So they're there preaching the gospel. What she declared was true, but it was difficult in their day. Why? Because anytime people heard this, the Jews got mad about it and rose up and tried to actually deal with them and try to cast them out of the city because their attention is being taken away from them. Verse 18, she did this for many days. I like this. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Just a little side note because I've had this question asked, although we've answered it before. Do we, do we talk to God about demons at all? Ask God to deal with demons. No. He gave you authority to deal with them. You don't pray to God about demons. You use authority to deal with them when you know you're dealing with one. 19, when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates and they said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes, commanded them to be beaten with rods. They want to go through this? <clears throat> Beaten with rods. Passing by Mysia, uh, they came again to, to uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I dropped over to the wrong column, sorry. Verse 23, when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. So guess what they did? They beat him with rods, and then they did what? Then they actually whipped them. They whipped them with whips, they laid many stripes on them. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Now, guess what's going on with them right now? If you've been beaten with rods and, and whipped with whips on the back, guess what's going on? Their backs are bleeding, man. They're cut wide open, and their, blacks, their, their backs are bleeding. 24, having received such a charge, he put them where? Where did he put them? The reason it tells you that is because this is the lowest part of the prison in which all of the aspect of feces and everything from the city drains into where all the rats hang out, nasty, 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 horrible. Well, think about all that stuff going on and you got all these open wounds and your back's bleeding. Not good. I said not good. So how many people think in the middle of that they would be rejoicing and praising God normally? No, not, not, not normally. But at midnight, <clears throat> at midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? As they're praying, guess what comes on them? The gift of faith comes on them. How do we know? Then they go to praising. This is not what most people do in this situation. They might pray, oh dear God, get us out of this. But guess what they start doing? They start praising God. So notice they began to sing hymns to God and the prisoners were what? Listening to them. Suddenly what happened? What happened? Now I don't mean earthquakes don't happen, but this is not normal. In this case, for an earthquake to happen to open the prison doors. Say not normal. <clears throat> this isn't normal modus operandi. This isn't their faith. You know, well, Paul uh, talking to Silas saying, you know, well, Silas, I've been praying, man. I got my faith built up. I've gone to the word. I know God will actually shake these prison doors and open. They're not thinking anything like that. 
The gift of faith comes on them to the degree that, guess what? They don't even care what's happened to them anymore. They're caught up in the presence of God, worshiping God. And what happens? God does a miracle. God manifests through that gift of faith, the supernatural event. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors, say all the doors. All the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. Say not normal. And the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing... That the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself. Why? Because if you oversaw that prison and those prisoners got out, they killed you. So he ain't going to let him do that. He's just going to go ahead and kill himself. He knows I've already, I'm already done for, man. Not realizing they're still there. Not realizing they hadn't actually left the cells. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We're all here. And he called for a light. He ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did the gift of faith do? Manifest a miracle and open this man's heart to the gospel because he ain't never seen nothing like this before. Verse uh, 31, so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be what? Saved, you and your household. They're not even concerned about their wounds yet. They're talking the gospel. They're sharing the gospel. Now, if you know about this jailer, guess what he did later? He then takes them home, cleans them up, right? Gets them all cared for and taken care of. Believe it or not, this man became a pastor of a local church there. He literally came into the, uh, the preaching of the gospel as a pastor of a local church they started there. So this is a supernatural event. Working of faith, uh, the, the gift of faith came upon them, verse 25, as they were praying, and they began to praise God and lift praises unto God. Just imagine how much pain they would have been in but when that faith came on them, guess what? The pain was no longer an issue. And as they began to praise their God, guess what happened? God moved. So the gift of faith is God doing something supernaturally for you. For you. All you're doing is doing what? Staying and yielded to God. Just honoring God. In the case of Daniel, he just didn't bow his knee. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, same thing. They're going to honor God. Paul and Silas, they're not, they're not down there moaning, groaning, and complaining. How many Christians would be complaining? How many Christians would be saying, man, can you believe it? All we were doing was preaching the gospel, and this is what it got us? I don't know if I want to keep doing this or not. But it didn't bother them. I said it didn't bother them. Say, thank God for the gift of faith. All right? We're moving on to the second of the power gifts called gifts of healings. Anybody want to learn about this one? Gifts of healings. Go to 2 Kings. Hallelujah. 2 Kings chapter 5. So the gifts of healings, say this after me, is supernatural impartation of God's healing power into another person. Say it again. Supernatural impartation of God's healing power into another person. Now, he can actually do that multiple ways. He can do that through us as a believer. But how many know he actually did this also through prayer cloths that were brought to Paul? It worked unusual healings and miracles through Paul. Not just, not just healings, but even miracles through these cloths that were brought to Paul. But the whole point is, gifts of healings is manifest. It is a supernatural impartation, therefore, of God's healing power to another person. Question, does anybody have to have faith in that, in that setting to get healed? No, the power of God is there. It will heal them. Why doesn't, here's a question. Why doesn't God heal everybody that way? Good question. I'm going to tell you why. Because if he healed everybody that way, problem is most of them wind up worse off later on down the road than they were before they got healed. 
Brother Hagen, who had this gift. John G. Lake, who had this gift, functioning at times in their ministry. John G. Lake said, I've seen in his life, I've seen the gifts of healings manifest many times. But I don't know if it's not more of a detriment in some ways. That sounds kind of odd. This is, this is his words. No telling how many people John G. Lake got healed. He said, I've almost seen it as a detriment rather than a help because many people never then take the time to get in church, get under the teaching of the word, and learn how to stay healed. They just come to my meetings. Gifts of healings manifest. They get healed. They got what they wanted. And they go on about living the life that they've already been living. And the problem is they don't develop faith to stay healed. Brother Hagin said the same thing. But in the context of the gifts of healings manifest, guess what is usually present? Usually, usually, in context of what we know from John G. Lake's writings, not always true, you don't always feel something, but Hagen did. Hagen knew when those gifts of healings were manifest because when Jesus touched both of his palms of his hands with his finger, he said, do you feel that? And he said, yeah, it's like a fire burning on my hands. He said, this is how you know that gift is in manifestation because you'll feel that fire in your hands. He said, all you have to do to get it to work is when I tell you to share what I did by appearing to you like this and touching your hands, you share that with the congregation. He said, if they'll believe it, that gift will manifest. If people will believe that, you'll feel that gift manifest, and all you have to do is lay hands on them. Now, obviously, somebody could just totally reject it in the sense, I don't want it. Well, they're not going to get it. But I'm talking about people that want to get healed. That gift's going to touch them. That gift's going to heal them. Amen? So realize this is a supernatural manifestation of God to bring about an impartation of God's healing power to another person. And we even see it in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 5. But it's not always done through an individual. It doesn't always come through the hands of a person. It can come by different means upon which God chooses to cause this gift to manifest. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1. This is Naaman's healing. Remember Naaman the leper? So here we have Naaman, verse 1, the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a, a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out on raids. They brought back captive a young girl from one of the raids in Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. So she's living in his household. She said to her mistress, If only my master, Naaman, if only my master were with, were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. She so loved him, she wanted to see him healed. Knew that he was an honorable man. And wanted to see him healed of this leprosy. Verse 4. Naaman went in and told his master saying. Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. <clears throat> the king of Syria said. Go now. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed. He took with him ten talents of silver. Six thousand shekels of gold. And ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Which said. Now be advised. When this letter comes to you. That I have sent Naaman. My servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he speaks a quarrel with me. Obviously, he's not the one that they need to seek. They needed to seek Elisha. Verse 8, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me. He shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. 
Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger saying to him, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Elisha, uh, Elisha never even looked at him face to face. There's several reasons why. I'm going to tell you mainly because he's being led by God. But what did this man bring? He brought all kinds of wealth and raiment and stuff. And Elisha's not going to be tempted by that. I'm not going to get any of that. I don't want any of that. I'm not, you're, not, you're not paying for your healing. You're not buying it off. So very clearly, Elisha sends his messenger down. Verse 10, didn't even go to him personally. He goes and tells Naaman, you go wash in the Jordan seven times. And your flesh shall be, shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. I was baptized in the Jordan. It's muddy water. It's not clear. It's very muddy. When you step off into the Jordan River, they told us, they said, now we're going to walk you around this little area here. Don't worry. You're going to feel stuff nipping at your feet. Don't worry. It's just little fish down there. They're actually cleaning your feet. So don't worry about them. They're not going to bite because you can't even see them. It's so muddy. This Jordan River just so muddy. So I've been there. I know what, what he's talking about. Watch this. Verse 11. Naaman became furious. Furious when he told him this. He went, uh, went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. This is what Naaman was saying when he was talking to himself before he got to Elisha's front door. He was thinking Elisha would come out, right? Wave his hand over him, do a little, little word or something, whatever, and he'd be healed. So this is what he was thinking. He was thinking, surely, verse 11, he will come out to me, stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. How many know you cannot uh, tell God how to do his work? Verse 12, are not the Abana and the the, the, uh, Pafar, watch this, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Cleaner water. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away and what? Went away in a rage. His servant came near, one that had been encouraged him to come and do all this, who had heard from the lady that was from Israel. His servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? In other words, if he had come to you face to face and told you to do some kind of a great type of exercise or something, would you not have done it? How much more then? How much more when he says to you, wash and be clean? Why not just go and do what he told you to do? 14, so he decided to do so. He, he thought, okay, I'll try it. Guess, guess what he's not being healed on? His faith. Why? This is going to be a manifestation of the gifts of healing. God knows how to manifest them. God knows where to manifest them. We just, honor, we just obey God. 14, so he went down, he dipped seven times in the, in the Jordan. Listen, I got dipped in the Jordan, not seven times. I got no healing in the Jordan. You can't make a, a, an act out of this to say, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. Whatever you got, you'll be healed. No. God specifically is going to manifest the gifts of healings for Naaman, and this is how he chose to do it. Why? I don't know. Ask God. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. So he goes to the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Say, gifts of healings. So he had no faith for this. Clearly, he was mad. He didn't want to do it. His servant had to talk him into it. His faith wasn't involved. Elisha didn't lay hands on him. The gifts of healings manifest. You listening? However God chooses to function in these gifts, we just allow him to function. Luke chapter 4. Say, praise the Lord, somebody. Luke chapter 4. Now listen. Realize this about the gifts of healings. We don't manifest them. It says the spirit wills, of course, again, know this. You can 
in any situation, go to people, tell them the truth about what Jesus did to provide healing for them through his shed blood, lay hands on them in faith, and if they will exercise their faith along with you, they can still be healed. You don't have to have gifts of healings manifest. I would encourage in this, in this context of understanding gifts of healings, don't try to get it to manifest. Don't try to get any of these gifts to manifest. Earnestly desire them, but you know what? This is what Brother Hagin used to say. Don't go to somebody hoping the gifts of healings manifest. I'm going to say that again. Don't go to somebody hoping the gifts of healings manifest. Go there and obey God. Go there and do what God directs you to do. And in this case, what did Elisha direct him to do? Go dip in the Jordan seven times. And he did and he got healed. Amen? Amen. If you obey what God directs you to do, if he's leading you by the Spirit. So Brother Hagin, whenever Brother Hagin, even because he had this gifts of healings in his ministry, when he would go to pray for people in relationship to aspects of healing, here's what he would do. After he would talk to them a little bit, he would put up his spiritual antenna, pray in the Spirit a little bit, to simply see, is there anything, Lord, you want to direct me to do here? In essence, are you wanting to manifest gifts of healings? If you, if you do, you're going to tell me to do something. Say something, do something, whatever. He said, if I got nothing from the Lord, then I shared with them what the Word of God said about Jesus providing healing. They can get healed the same, uh, off of the same promise. All they got to do is believe it. And so all I would do then is I would know this isn't going to be gift by gifts of healings. Lord didn't give me anything, so I'm going to share the Word. And I'm just going to tell them what Jesus did to bear their sickness and disease. I'm a carrier of the anointing. Yes. Holy Spirit's in me. He said he would extend his hand through me to heal. He is here with me now. He wants to heal you. All you got to do is believe it's his will and he'll do it. Amen. Amen? If you'll believe it, he'll touch you right now. Amen. He'll heal you right now. When I prayed for Rudy at Sam's, his body not producing white blood cells. I didn't have a gifts of healings manifest. How do you also know if the gifts of healings manifest? It's instantaneous. It happens right then. When you lay hands on somebody, they may not get an instant healing. Now, I don't know that he may not have. He didn't have a doctor there to say, okay, your body's now producing white blood cells. But I'll tell you what Rudy did do, because he knew because he believes God. When I offered to pray for him, which nobody had yet, when I offered to pray for him, he said, yeah. Well, I just simply spoke to his body because what are we dealing with? A body that's not doing what was you know, created by God to do. So I commanded that body to start producing white blood cells. If you're dealing with a disease or sickness, curse the thing. Amen. Command it to die. You got authority over it. It came from Satan. And then what do you do after that? You start thanking God. Thank you, Lord, that you will heal this body just as you promised. So all I did is I spoke to his body and said, you produce white blood cells in Jesus' name. And I started thanking the Father. Thank you, Father, you've healed his body to produce these white blood cells. Yeah. And when I got done praying for him in the middle of the parking lot at Sam's, man, you should have seen the smile on his face. He said, my, God, my God's done it. Praise God. He said, thank you for praying. I said, you got it, man. He walked off. And I hadn't seen him in months. And I told you the other day, I ran into him at Sam's the other day. He was walking in to the, the, the front of the store and I was coming up behind him. I tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around big. Old, of course, Rudy always smiled, but he said, I got to tell you something. He said, you remember that prayer you prayed for me? Yeah, I've been to my doctor. My body's producing all the white blood cells I need. He said, thank you for your prayers. You ready? He said, God said he would do it and I knew he would. And he did it. That's faith. 
That's faith. So you don't have to have the gifts of healings manifest. God won't heal through us most of the time with gifts of healings. If he chooses to do something, here's how you know. He'll direct you in a specific way of what you're to do. I want you to get this. If he does not direct you in a specific way of something to do or say, guess what you do? You share the word of God. You just tell them what the Bible says. You're anointed. The healer's in you. Does he want to heal them? Absolutely. What do they got to do? They got to believe two things. If you ever minister for people, minister to people in healing, now I already knew Rudy, I already knew he believes. I have no problem. I have to take time to talk to him. But if you are ministering to someone in healing, there's two things you got to get them to understand. You ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, you got to get this across to him. God will heal you. He's able. He can do it. There's nothing you're dealing with God can't heal you from. Number one, you got to believe God's able. Number two, got to believe it's his will. He'll do it. Most people don't question his ability. They question his willingness. Amen? Guess what Rudy knew? Not only can my God do it, he will. And he did. Come on. I said, come on. I did, laid my hands on him. God did, and he fulfilled his word and did exactly what he said he would do. So you got to understand, folks, when you minister healing to people, don't be looking for the gifts of uh, gifts of healings to manifest. You take time to listen to the Holy Spirit. If he directs you in a certain way, then that may happen. I don't know that it will happen this way for every person. But again, I was going to say in a minute ago, which I kind of mentioned, when it would happen with Brother Hagin, he would get a warmth in his hands, will come upon his hands. And I guarantee you, that's how one of the ways you can know gifts of healing is manifest. A little side thought, he would at times, with that, with that healing manifest in his hands, put hands on somebody, <clears throat> and he would literally feel it go into them and come back to him. And when that happened, the Lord would show him, you know why that healing won't manifest in their body? There's a demon there. Cast the demon out and they'll be healed. So he would cast the demon out and then they would receive their healing. Amen? Amen. So realize you and I got to know the difference between what we can do of actually laying hands on the sick to see him recover. Doesn't mean it's always instant. But through gifts of healings, it's going to be. Luke chapter 4, you still with me? Come on, Luke chapter 4, we're almost out of time. Now here we got Jesus going to Peter's house after uh, having come from the synagogue. Verse, 20, uh, verse 38, he arose from the synagogue. I've been there. And the synagogue was right across the street from Peter's house. Peter's house was on one side, synagogue was on the other side. <clears throat> so they come across the street from the synagogue. They entered Simon Peter's house, but Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. What was she? Sick. With a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. Notice this. So he stood over her and did what? He rebuked the fever and it what? Left her and immediately she did what? She arose and served them. Now notice this. There's no faith on her part. He didn't say, do you believe? Can I do this? This is not like the woman with the issue of blood. By your faith you've been healed. So the mother-in-law has no faith involved here, does she? So guess what that shows you about this very work? Gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. Now, she didn't reject it, but I'm just telling you, they don't have to have faith for healing. So that's how you know when you go through the Bible, was it gifts of healings or was it their faith? You'll you'll see it clearly in the context. There's many times in the context of the Gospels where Jesus said, by your faith you've been made whole. So clearly that wasn't gifts of healings. That was just them faith in what he could do. But in this case, she had nothing to do with it. He rebuked the fever and she immediately rose up well and healed. Because what? The manifested power, the gifts of healings 
went into her body and delivered her of that fever. Amen. Notice again, end of verse 39, immediately, say immediately. Immediately, immediately she arose and did what? Yes, Why? Because when gifts of healings manifest, healing is going to happen immediately. Amen. It's going to take place. So that was Jesus as an example. Let me show you one more tonight. Acts chapter 9. You still with me? Yes. Acts chapter 9. I know these are a lot of examples, but it's the best way to see these gifts, to understand them and how they function, how they work. <clears throat> Say, thank God for the gifts of healing, but I also thank God for his word. So don't ever go to try to, in the context of a healing, don't ever try to go to somebody thinking gifts of healings, gifts of healings, come on, gifts of healings, come on, come on, gifts of healing. No, you just go to minister to that person and say, okay, Lord, is there anything you want to show me here? Is there something specific you need me to do? And if he directs you to do something, obey him. Because if you do, that could be gifts of healings about to manifest. Amen? If not, what do you do? Tell, again, tell them what the word says. You got to get them to understand your God is what? Able, willing. If they'll believe it, it'll happen. I said, if they'll believe it, it'll happen. Acts chapter 9. You still with me? Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Let's see an account with Peter. It came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country, he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. He found a certain man there named Aeneas, or some say Aenea. So I'm going to leave the S off. I don't know which is proper. You kind of get two different pronunciations of this name. Notice who had been bedridden eight years and was what? Paralyzed. Notice what Peter said to him. Peter said, how do we know this is a healing? Watch this. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ does what? He heals you. Now notice this. There's no faith on his part. Is there? There's nothing about his faith being exercised. Aeneas I'm talking about. There's no faith on his part. Right? What did he do? What did he say? Jesus the Christ heals you. Now, where did that come from? Holy Spirit. This is how the gifts of healings manifest. Clearly, we know that without a doubt, Peter had to be, be led by Jesus to say what he said, by the Holy Spirit to say what he said. He did not walk up to everybody in the, in the book of Acts. He did not walk up to everybody and say, Jesus the Christ heals you. See, some people would read something like this and think, I got, this, I got the actual key to heal everybody. All I got to do is walk up and say, Jesus the Christ heals you. But guess what? It ain't going to work for everybody unless God told you to say it. How do we know that it worked here? Because God told him to say it. God's not going to tell, the Holy Spirit's not going to tell him to say something that won't work. So Aeneas had no faith, no faith involved. No faith involved. But clearly Peter had heard from the Holy Spirit and he's led by God and he speaks and declares, Jesus Christ does what? Heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he did what? What did he do? Immediate healing. Say gifts of healings manifest. He immediately rose up. 35, so all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to what? Well, there you go because the Father was revealed. This is what I keep telling you. Our purpose of these gifts is to see the Father's heart revealed. They saw how good the Father was. And what does it say there again in verse 35? All. Come on, all. Could you? How cool would it be to say, and all in Ponder, Texas. Come on. All in Ponder, Texas saw this miracle and they turned to the Lord. I don't know that would happen in our day. I'd love to see it. But it happened here. What caused that to happen? I'll tell you two things. One, a man named Peter who learned how to yield to the Holy Spirit and listen to him and obey him. 
to the manifestation, therefore, of the gifts of healings in this man's body. All of them knew this guy was paralyzed, instantly healed, just off of the words he spoke. Amen. Aeneas had no faith for this. Peter has no quote-unquote precedent. This is exactly how you heal every time, because he didn't. He didn't do it that way every time. So the Holy Spirit's leading him. So again, gifts of healings are going to manifest if the Holy Spirit directs you a certain way to do something. If he directs you to say something, if he directs you to do something. I remember at the gate, beautiful. Same thing. That man had no faith to be healed. He reached out expecting to get money from Peter. Right? Well, I'll guarantee you, if you walk up to every single person who's paralyzed in legs, and you grab them by the hand, and you pull them up and say, you know, I call you healed in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Let me help you. They ain't all going to walk. But he did. Why did he get up and walk? Because Peter heard from the Holy Spirit. He did exactly what the Holy Spirit told him to do. And by obeying God, say obey God, what happened? Gifts of healings manifest. See, this is a key to the gifts of healings. The gifts of healings manifest how, Pastor? He's going to lead you a certain way. He's going to direct you, lead you to say something, do something a certain way. That person's faith isn't, you're not going to have to sit there and teach them for 15 minutes. You're not going to have to tell them Jesus will heal them. And you won't even feel led to do so. You will feel impressed of God if you're listening to the Holy Spirit to immediately speak and immediately act and immediately do what God told you to do. And that power is going to go into their body and instantly heal them. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.